This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play via the iHeartRadio app. Cross a stamp goes down the right wing, cross the blind right circle, stamp goes open, shoots, score! Stamp goes! <laughs> and it's 2 nothing Lightning! Look at the players going crazy for Steven. That is unbelievable. <laughs> oh, I think the laugh. Yeah, the laugh said it all, folks. Phil Esposito, of course, Dave Michigan with the great call. And what a great game yesterday, no doubt about it. Tampa Bay wins 5-2, up two games to one. Two more wins till the Stanley Cup. It feels so far away, but we're so close. We've got a lot to take in. I've got some thoughts I want to share with you early on. Dave does as well. Eric Erlinson from lightninginsider.com is going to join us in about 15 minutes, and we're going to get his thoughts on the game. And, you know, you're doing the pregame, and you're not sure if Steven Stamkos, Dave, is, is going to play. So, you know, kind of behind the scenes a little bit, preparing for something like that. And you want to make sure you're ready when he does. You want to have some numbers ready to go to give people some context of how many games has he missed, when was his last goal, and... You know, you see him on the ice taking warm-up. Steve's in my headset, and it's it's like, okay, this this is getting a little closer because we heard the day before, or I think it was that day, John Cooper says, you know, he's inching closer, he's inching closer. And I told you I was on WFLA the other day, and they asked me, Ryan Gorman did, you know, do you think he's going to play? And I said, well, I, I think it's going to be, I think it's greater than 50-50 at this point. I mean, obviously I had no idea, but that was my gut. But you're doing the broadcast, and I think anytime something breaking happens, it's always exciting. But then, you know, we decide in between the breaks, let's come back and play Stamkos' last goal of the year. And Jason Berenger did a great job of finding it. We played it, and it was kind of a surreal moment because he only played two minutes and 47 seconds, but he scores. And I was thinking about this today, Dave, when I was doing our meeting with about 15 people at the table that we typically do for our shows. And I I am not born and raised in Tampa, obviously, but I have seen a lot of iconic moments throughout my sports career, mainly in Pittsburgh, but throughout. Obviously, if they win the cup, it magnifies it. But Steven Stamkos coming back scoring a goal on, what, his third shift and not playing the rest of the game in a Stanley Cup final has to be one of the more iconic moments in Tampa Bay sports history. That's how interesting it was. And we talk about why sports are great. They're not scripted. And on any given night, you may see something that's remarkable. In addition to what we saw last night with the Lightning, which we're going to get into, I thought Steven Stamkos making the effort to play and then scoring was one of the most memorable sporting moments I have witnessed in my 39 years, soon to be 40, Dave, years of existence. Yeah, so if Steven Stamkos is going to play, you don't expect he's only going to have five shifts. That's the way it unfolded. So that was the negative, I guess, from last night. 
But again, going to this unscripted part. <laughs> then you're going to say, all right, in only five shifts, he's going to score. <laughs> That's unexpected, certainly. But if you and I were to discuss it ahead of time and, and we had those two bits of information, that Stamkos would only play five shifts, but in that time he would score, we would probably say maybe scored in the power play. Maybe he lined up that one-timer, which is something you can practice. Phil and I were talking about this in the pregame, both on air in the pregame and then off air. I was asking him, like, the timing issue, will that affect him on the power play? And he didn't actually play any of the, the, the power plays the Lightning had. He could have. The first power play chance they had, the one that they allowed the shorthanded goal to Dickinson, Stamkos was, was still playing at that point he actually played in the four on four shift before the power play started but Stamkos didn't get any power play time but Phil said yeah I mean if he's been practicing the one timer that shouldn't affect his timing so if you and I were to discuss it ahead of time Greg and we knew that he was only going to play five shifts but that he would score how would he score how would this goal go in we might say well one timer he's standing still on the slot somebody fed him the puck maybe for a five on five goal Maybe he went to the front of the net and, and got a rebound into an open net. You don't expect that he's going to score the way he did based on the fact that he hadn't played in six and a half, virtually seven months. And I say that because that play required exquisite timing. Like, that was a play you would expect to see from a guy who has not missed seven months. And a lot of guys who haven't missed seven months still can't make that play. And that's a, that's a pass off the boards. He takes it off the boards. He avoids the Lindell hip check. He has to settle the puck down. And then, in motion, roofs it to the far side. Now, we know Steven Stamkos can shoot the puck as well as maybe anybody in the game. Maybe Ovechkin, you want to say Nathan McKinnon. I mean, he's up there. He's one of the top five shooters in the game today, for sure. He's the second best goal scorer of this generation next to Alex Ovechkin, in my opinion. Right, and a lot of that is because he can shoot the puck like not many other players can. But still, (laughs) to be able to score a goal like that off the rush with everything that went into it, understanding that it was his third shift after missing essentially seven months, is mind-boggling. Like, that was such a a high-level play requiring exquisite skill and timing that if you would ask me, all right, he's going to score, he's only going to play five shifts, how do you think it's going in? I'd be like, all right, one-timer, he's not, he can, he can line it up, he can bomb it in. To do it off the rush that way with everything that went into that play, incredible. I mean, that, and it was a huge goal. I mean, it was a huge goal because the Stars did have a surge after that. And because Stampko scored, it was 2-1 Lightning after one, not 1-1. And the Lightning even could have been down if not for Vasilevsky in the first period coming out of the first. And we can get into that. But you're right. I mean, certainly you called it an iconic moment. Uh, I think it was all of that and more given the stakes, given the stage, given his hard work to get back and i guess the the one the one part that that's tough is that he was only able to play the five shifts 
And moving forward, it's it's certainly cloudy. It's it's uncertain whether he'll be able to, yeah. to play anymore in this final. Yeah, and I, you know, look, you get concerned about the injury because we don't know exactly what it is. It's certainly been a nagging injury, and you know, for him to not play the rest of the game, basically, you know, you also have to be cognizant of that. I mean, you want him to be healthy and ready to go, and we just don't know where he is. But in that moment, folks, I hope Lightning fans can appreciate the impact of a player. We talk about sacrificing to win. Stamkos did that because there's always in the back of his mind, I'm sure with that injury, obviously, that there was a chance for re-injury. And I I don't know what his availability will be for this weekend with the back-to-back. That's something else we can get into probably a little later on. But it's something to keep in mind also, too, when you evaluate that play specifically and how, I think, special and amazing it it really was. He's Dave Mishkin. I'm Greg Linelli. It is Power Lunch here on Lightning Power Play. Something you also said, too, and Dave, you know how I've basically broken down this series. It's been very simplistic, but I think it's been accurate. The Lightning Stars have been better than Dallas' Stars, and the Dallas' Stars have gotten chances so far through three games. For the most part, they haven't been able to convert. We can talk about how dangerous Sagan's been. We can talk about Jamie Benn being tough in front and Radulov having some moments here and there. The reality is stats don't lie. And the Lightning Star players are outperforming Dallas's. I thought that was always going to be the advantage Tampa Bay had in this series. I didn't know if Dallas's defensive structure would close that or narrow that gap. I think at times they have. But so far through three games, I think Tampa Bay accurately has been the better team. But isn't it interesting? We always talk about offense when we compare star players or just in general when we talk about two teams in a series. It was a play by their all-star defenseman four minutes into the game. Yep. That was the biggest moment, I thought, uh, maybe of the whole game, but early on. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. I think I wrote it down 1620, roughly. Garyanov had a breakaway. Yeah, it was still 0-0 at that point. It was 0-0. That's what I mean. It's 0-0. For as well, think about it, Dave. For as well as Tampa Bay played that whole game, it always comes down to a couple of moments, maybe where the other team could have changed the complexion of it. Four minutes in, Garyanov is flying. I mean, it, it looked like he was shot out of a cannon. We always talk about Hedman's speed and his ability to catch guys. But how about the ability not to take a penalty on that play? Because I think you accurately pointed out, a lot of times in that moment, not only is there a penalty, Dave, there might even be a penalty shot. I mean, there's a breakaway, and either the, the ref... Must have seen that Hedman really didn't hit his hands and had a good view and said, no, it's a good play, or he missed it. Because well, I that was a fantastic play. Yeah. yeah, I asked Phil, and again, I think I asked him off here. <laughs> Maybe I should have asked him <laughs> on here. But I said, you know, why did they not call slashing? Usually on a play like that, you either see a slash or yeah. a hook. I guess if the stick is coming down, the defender stick is coming down, it could be a slash. If it's coming up, it could be a hook. And so it wasn't a hook because usually a hook has to involve the hands or the body, right? For sure. and, and that was stick on stick. But we do see slashing sometimes called stick on stick, like the Palat penalty in game two that the Lightning weren't happy with where Pavelski dropped his stick. And what Phil said was, because Hedman turned his blade so the end of the blade was pointing down 
almost like he was, you know, digging a hole in his yard or something with a right. hole. Like, right, like he, right. he put it down and he placed the stick on Gurionov's stick. He didn't swing it onto Gurionov's stick. And once it became stick on stick, as Phil said, and I'm paraphrasing here, he just outmuscled him. So that's the line between a potential penalty for slashing or a penalty shot. They could have called that as well based on where Gurianov was if they were going to call it a penalty and a clean defensive play. So Hedman, instead of slashing the stick, he literally placed his stick on Gurianov's stick and tied up the stick, which you are allowed to do. And that was that was the difference between a potential penalty or penalty shot and just a great defensive play. But for Victor to do that, and also Gurianov had a step on him. Now, Victor's a great skater, but Gurianov is a great skater too, as we saw. Like, you're right. He looked like he was shot out of a cannon. He got that puck in the neutral zone, and he was gone. And Victor caught him enough to be able to make that play with his stick. And you don't see that play very often. Like, I can't remember really ever seeing a defenseman make a play like that on a guy having a breakaway. Sometimes you see the stick tied up where the blade is maybe parallel to the ice and it isn't called because they're not getting the glove. But for Victor to turn his stick blade down like that and then tie up the stick in that moment and also make up the gap enough so that he could make that play right. was, was certainly a very important piece to this victory yes because the lightning were able to score less than two minutes later on the kucherov breakaway and they got the first goal instead of being down well scoring the first goal scoring goals on the power play vassy's giving you solid goaltending even though at times he wasn't tested and the way i think tampa bay is defending has been very very encouraging we're going to talk to eric erlinson from lightninginsider.com coming up next we're going to get his thoughts on what transpired Last night, and I do want to ask him about iconic moments in Tampa Bay history. And, and where did that rank? Maybe I'm off, but I'd like to hear from him. And I'd like to hear from you at Bolts Radio. Back after this with Eric right here on Lightning Power Play. The perfect social distancing distraction for your lunch hour. This is Power Lunch, only on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app. What a game last night. So much fun to be part of, no doubt about it, in any capacity. Greg Linnelli, Dave Mishkin with you. Steve Ersnick producing. It is Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. The Steven Stamkos goal, where does it rank? One of the most, I think, memorable, iconic moments in sports history in Tampa Bay. And I think a a great guest to have on to talk about, amongst other things, our good friend from lightninginsider.com. Subscribe today. He also has his own podcast. Make sure you listen to it. Not because I was on it before, but you should. It's good stuff. No, that's and, the uh, only reason. That, well, listen, I'm going to be selfish. That's the only reason you're going to listen <laughs> for that. Um, it is Eric Erlinson. E, I got the first most important question is, when did you go to bed? Ooh, I didn't do too bad last night. It was about 4.45, 4.50, somewhere in that range. All right. So not too bad. So you got to bed early. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah by, by today's uh, game day standards, it was a little early, actually. <laughs> um, you have, I, I would say, in terms of how media members can have decent relationships with athletes, I'd say your relationship with Stephen Stamkos is one of the better ones uh, in the area. And you've covered him, like Dave has, since he began his career. I, 
I said I thought it was one of the more memorable, iconic moments in Tampa Bay sports history when you factor everything in, the Stanley Cup Finals, the fact that Stamkos had missed all this time, and basically coming down and sniping it the way we've seen him do over the years in an important game, and then not playing after that, is something that I'm always going to remember. And I think if the Lightning win the Cup, you know, a lot of people are going to remember that one goal. Does does that resonate with you? Can you make that case? And if so, can I get some royalties on the next article or book that you write about that? <laughs> Greg's all about Greg. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, um, lots of lots to digest there, but you know, yeah, feel it. it. It was, uh, it, it, look, it's up there. There's no doubt. Um, you know, I, I think of uh, Ruslan Fedotenko's second goal in 04 in Game 7, and just the, the celebration and kind of the realization of what you hoped that meant at the end of that game. Um, you know, Vinny's between-the-legs goal in Montreal in Game 3 of that series in 2004. But there's no doubt that we're going to sit back in, in a couple of years and, you know, if, if they can complete this job. And look, we're – we're not anywhere near that yet. We we should know better after what happened in 2015, yes. you know, where things can be. But if things do end the way that we all hope they do, that goal is going to go down as one of the most memorable moments for sure because of all the circumstances around it. You know, we hadn't – I mean, it's, what, 211 days between games for Steven Stamkos? What was it, 700 and some on days between playoff games? because of, um, you know, the gap and the pause and everything. The fact that he couldn't participate in training camp other than some power play drills here and there, and, you know, he doesn't practice, and you don't hear from him, and then you kind of see him, and he shows up on the scene, and, and then third shift in, you know, he just puts a perfect shot, and, you know, I don't want to downplay that, you know, Anton Hudobin was probably a little off his, his mark there, but he left that window open for Steven to find it, and he found it. And, you know, just to see what it meant for him, I mean, you could see him leap into the arms of Pat Maroon there behind the bench and just to see the reaction. I mean, it was just great to see literally, I think just about every single player stood as that puck went on his stick, as he raced down the right wing boards in anticipation of what could happen. And then to see the bench celebrate the way they did. uh, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I got chills when that happened and that doesn't happen very often in, in what I do, but it did. And, and I think that sort of kind of gives you an idea of how this is going to resonate for a lot of people for a lot of years. So we know having watched him play all these years about Steven Stamkos' talent on the ice. And that play certainly is a, a snapshot of that, but you mentioned the player reaction, and the player reaction is as much, in my opinion, about Steven Stamkos, the person, and how he has persevered at different points in his career, dealing with injuries and setbacks, but especially during this playoff run. And I'm wondering how impressed you have been with what we have heard. He has not done a lot of press conferences, but he did one last night, and he talked about how tough this has been. And John Cooper at one point said it's killing him that he's not being able to play and and contribute. But we have heard from other players about the influence that he has had and his never-ending positivity, even if he is frustrated internally, 
he's not letting it outwardly affect how he's interacting with his teammates. And players have talked about the influence that he has had on them through this playoff run. So we see the the goal, and that's the moment. But how impressed have you been, knowing Stammer as well as you do, about kind of the lasting impact or the longer impact that's not just a snapshot, but an example of a guy who is putting his own disappointment on the back burner for what is best for the team and trying to help the team however he can. Yeah, you're you're adding to the royalty fees uh, with that part of the story that's going to be <laughs> <laughs> written because uh, you're right. I, I think the the eruption on the bench is exactly that. It, it, it's it's for knowing who he is, and you know it's the culmination of all the work that he put in to to try and fight his way back to get to that moment. And you know he even used the word painful, having to sit out because yeah. you know he could see what the team is going through. And you know I I think back to the the, the game two against the Islanders where. Nikita Kucherov scores with nine minutes and just kind of how that must have felt for him not to be able to be a part of that and, and kind of see what you hope is something special brewing, right? Like you look for kind of things like that go on. And, you know, so, I, yeah, I, I know that it was it was killing him not to be out there because he this is what this is what hockey players play for. It's a chance to play in the Stanley Cup final and, you know, the chance to win a Stanley Cup. And they got a taste of it in 2015 and it ended in disappointment with a six-game loss to Chicago there. And, and then to, for him to have to sit out and not be able to be part of it for, you know, something that he can't necessarily control – you know, injuries happen. Uh, unfortunately, he's had some to deal with in the past. And, you know, we, I mean, you think back to when he broke his leg and, you know, when he was around the team, that's all they talked about was how, how is this guy so positive? How can he keep a smile on his face? You know, and that's just who Steven Stamkos is. He, he's a positive person. He always has been. Every interaction I've ever had with him and conversations that I've had with him throughout the years uh, and he just, you know, he said it, that it doesn't help anybody to be negative, including himself. So he just goes with a positive attitude. But, you know, you know, for the past two months that they've been inside this this bubble situation and him not being able to play, it hurt. It hurt him. And that's why I think it meant so much for everybody to see that happen to him. And, that, and that's, you know, that's everybody. That's everybody that's associated with this team, a, a fan, anybody knows the story of Steven Stamkos and. Uh, it was. It was a very. It was a very touching moment to see everybody react that way. And if this is it, if he can't play the rest of the series, and they go on to win the Stanley Cup, he he can he can be proud that he contributed. It wasn't easy, but he was able to get out on the ice and make a contribution to uh, a, a victory and a potential. You know, getting your name on the cup. He will say that he had a part of it. Other than just you know being a glorified cheerleader in some ways, you know, any leadership skills and everything that all the guys have talked about, but um, th yeah, there's no doubt that uh, it, it, it's it's like a culmination of all these emotions coming out in that one snapshot moment. Eric Erlinson joining us here on Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. A lot to unravel when we talk about the game last night, but it's pretty apparent that if the first line of Tampa Bay's continues to play this way, Dallas does not have an answer for them. They just don't. And as I said in the opening segment, E, they are getting chances, meaning the Dallas players who are called upon to score, Sagan, Ben, Radulov, they're not, though. They're not converting for whatever reason. 
Tampa Bay's are, do you look at that as being one of the bigger differences so far through three games? For sure. You know, like when Dallas won game 4-1, you know, what was a lot of the storylines? Well, hey, if Dallas is going to get this kind of depth scoring out of their guys, you know, hey, they're going to have a chance in the series. Well, you knew you weren't going to keep Tampa Bay's top line quiet. I mean, nobody slowed them down yet, and we're 19 games into the postseason, and very rarely have they not shown up on the score sheet. And, you know, and when you're going to have a game where Steven Stamko scores and Nikita Kucherov scores and Braden Point scores and Victor Hedman scores and Andre Pilat scores, Rand, that's five. My limited math tells me that's five goals. You're going to have a hard time beating any team with five goals. But it's the fact that that's those five guys that scored. You know, we, we can talk about how you need depth scoring in the playoffs and, you know, you need those guys to contribute and, you know. And that's all know, true. It is. And John Cooper's used the phrase that top lines usually cancel out. If if you're going to get this contribution from your top line night in and night out and as dominant as they've been, I mean, they were dominant last night, especially in that second period. I mean, they were all over it. You know, that one shift that led to Palat's goal at the end of the second period was as dominant a shift as they've had in the postseason. You know, you need your top players to be your top players. And when you have the decided advantage in that category, and the Lightning certainly do in this case, um, they're going to be tough to slow down for Dallas as good as they are defensively. You know, Tampa Bay's found some cracks here in the last two games. And uh, I'm not saying that's going to continue, but if it does, you know, this is going to end in, in the right way for Tampa Bay. Lightning scored some goals last night off the rush. Kucherov. Stamp goes, the point goal off the rush. And that's been one reason for their success against this this Dallas structured defense. They have been able to, to catch them and make some plays. The, the three-on-one goal for point was after a line change by the Stars. But it's been noticeable in the last two games when the teams are skating five-on-five, five, how the Lightning are able to get in on the four-check and reach the Dallas defenders before they can make a play with the puck. And I'm looking at the game sheet last night, Eric. I'm not a big fan of the hit stat. I know some people love it. I'm not a fan of it. I I usually don't even pay attention to it because I think it's an extremely subjective stat to quantify. It doesn't always tell you what you may need to know. Like if you're chasing the whole game, you may have a lot of hits because you don't have the puck. But the one that jumped out at me, Tyler Johnson had nine hits last night. And I think the reason he was credited with nine hits was virtually all of those were probably in the offensive zone where he was getting under the forecheck and closing on a Dallas defender before that defender could play the puck. I see Sorelli had five hits as well on the same line. How important has that been to the Lightning's if you want to call it success or ability to have a lot of puck possession, basically from the start of the the third period in game one, right on through here, five on five. Well, you don't want to give the Dallas D chance to get out because they're very good at it. And if you can get in and look, we can all say that game one, they were tired. They were, it, it was an, it was a fatigue thing. The, the, the minds were dead. The legs were dead. And that's a, that's not a good combination. Uh, you know, in a Stanley Cup final game, and and they paid for it, and Dallas did what they had to do to take advantage of it. But the Lightning have found their legs, and with their legs, they've been able to get in deep on the forecheck. And 
you know, I saw an interesting little video from uh, Craig Button yesterday where he noticed that Tampa Bay was trying to dump the puck in and make Anton Hudobin handle it. And, and that way you spread the Dallas defense out. Rather than Dallas going behind the net and maybe using some speed to pick up the puck, it spreads the Dallas D out to the corners, and that's where the Lightning are getting their forecheck. They're not allowing a clean out. And, you know, Hudobin might get the puck over to his, his D, but they're not getting it quick enough to Tampa Bay can't establish their forecheck, and that's disrupting uh, a lot of what the Stars want to do and to be able to keep the puck in the zone. And as we know, so much of your success a lot of times in the playoff series comes down to your compete level and your battle level. How are you winning those pucks along the boards? How are you getting in those 50-50 battles? And if they can get in quickly on the forecheck, which they have done, that is a big contributor to disrupting Dallas's uh, speed up through the ice because they get a ton of it. You know, they're they're a pretty physical team themselves, but they're not, you know, they have more speed than the Islanders. They have more speed than Columbus. So I know we've tried to make the comparison that Dallas plays the same way as some of the teams that Tampa Bay has already faced here in the playoffs. But what they have that those other teams didn't was a pretty good core of D who can get up and move the puck with Heiskanen and Klingberg and Lindell. And, you know, those guys can really get the puck up the ice or skate the puck out of danger. If you take away their time and space in the offensive zone, that's that's a key part of, of maintaining puck possession, and it's it's a reason why you know you go back to game one in the third period and how they're able to keep the puck in the Dallas zone, and you know in the second period last night, especially in particular, just pinning them in. And you know I'm not a big fan of the hits. I, I'm looking at this, and I think these are overinflated hits. Like you're going to tell me every single game of this series has had over 100. I mean, Tampa Bay had like 20 registered hits in like the first 10 minutes. I'm like. That just seems excessive, but it's the same statistician keeping it. So it is subjective, but it's this one person's, um, you know, is, is judging all of these. Apples uh, but, to apples, then. Yeah, exactly. But at the end of the day, it's it's a great observation by you, and I'm not shocked by that, that that's a big part of, of why Tampa Bay's been able to get their fourth check is because they're getting in and taking the body. I think you follow him on Twitter, Dmitry Filipich. Filipovich, yes, Um, and I don't know where he works now. I think he has his own podcast. He's a very analytical guy. Uh, I'm not as big on analytics-y. I know you can kind of dabble in it. Dave looks at it sometimes, but a couple of things stood out if you really believe how dominant that first line has been. He said the last two games for the points, Kucherov, and Palat line is about as dominant as it gets. He says the numbers with them on the ice at 5-on-5 via NST. 22 minutes, 11 seconds, total ice time. 30 to 6 total shot attempts. 32 6. 19 to 1 shots on goal. 10 to 1 higher danger attempts. 3 0 goals scored. Sometimes those numbers, you have to put them in context, but that's pretty impressive. And then he, he goes on to give some stats about how good Victor Hedman has been <laughs> in these playoffs as well. And. What he was able to do on Gurionov's breakaway might have been the play of the game when you factor in where things were at the time, and it was still a 0-0 game. Yeah, we'll start with uh, the point line. Um, you know, you match the eye test to the numbers test sometimes, and uh, the numbers test actually outweighs what we've seen in person, and what we've seen in person is very, very good. And... You know, it, to me, it is a measurement of puck possession, and if you're going to do that, uh, you know, if you're going to have that lopsided of an advantage, uh, look, and, that, and like last night, Tampa Bay was the quote-unquote visiting team, so Rick Bonus got his matchups, you know, as much as he could 
in those situations to try and slow those guys down, and it still didn't work. So uh, that's as dominant as you can probably be in a Stanley Cup final with with those type of, of numbers and your shot attempts and you know your 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 shots on goal. Um, and then Victor Hedman, I I don't know what else more we can say about about Victor. I, I you know we're <laughs> watching him play in these postseason and, and you know I, I have to ask myself how has he only won one Norris trophy right like he's only won one he's been a finalist four straight years and he's only won one and the other three times he actually finished third so he wasn't even a runner-up in those circumstances and just the way he handles and controls the game and I mean this is definitely going to be an eye-opener for a lot of people outside of the Tampa market who maybe don't see uh, Victor Hedman play so much but he has just been like the the conversation is going to be had and it has been had about, you know, Con Smythe candidates for Tampa Bay if if they happen to go on and win this. And you can make an argument for Andre Vasilevsky, you can make an argument from Braden Point, and you can make an argument for Nikita Kucherov, and you probably wouldn't be wrong. But I think when it's gonna come down to it, he's gonna be the guy because, you know, you look at the ten goals that are scored and I, I think the other What's the other number that he's actually had more five-on-five goals that he has scored himself than he's actually given up while he's on the ice in the playoffs? And uh, that's a pretty telling stat. You know, between the Stamco storyline and the Lightning's dominant second period, it's maybe easy to forget that segment in the first when the Stars had their best stretch. And it was about a a seven-and-a-half-minute stretch. It started with their power play when Chernak was called for a penalty into the four-on-four into the shorthanded situation, they scored the goal, and then continuing five on five. In that seven-and-a-half-minute stretch, the Stars had 14 shots, and they finished the game with 24. So the other (laughs) 52-and-a-half minutes, they only had 10 shots on net. But they were dangerous during that seven-and-a-half-minute stretch, and that was when Vasilevsky was called upon. I guess to me, this is a reminder that the Stars can be extremely dangerous when they get their game going, when they have the wind at their back as far as momentum is concerned. How important was that stretch, though, in your mind, both with Vasilevsky not letting them tie the game and then the Lightning finding a way to end that surge? So a seven and a half minute surge didn't turn into 10 minutes or 15 minutes or 20 minutes like it did for the Lightning in the second period. Well, all teams are going to have those surge moments, right? Like they're going to happen in a game, and how do you manage that? And I felt that, you know, during that stretch, starting with right before the the Dickinson shorthanded goal, just got sloppy with the puck. Uh, Their decision-making with the puck uh, slacked, for lack of a better phrase. Uh, That led almost directly to that Dickinson goal because of how sloppy they were with the puck in that situation. Um, and when you're going to feed a team like that, and you know, let's Dallas is here for a reason. They are a very good team. They are a dangerous team. You know, there was what was the one play where Andre Vasilevsky actually got a stick on a pass across to Tyler Sagan. That if that puck gets clean through, it's a goal. Uh, and you know, so you know, Vasilevsky not just making the saves, he's disrupting passes as well. You know, you have to withstand those, and, and, and you do it, and, you know, I go back to something Ryan McDonough said early in these playoffs that, you know, when they get in those situations, they don't panic anymore where maybe they did before. And, 
you know, it's where their structure, they talked about how they lean on their structure in, in those moments to try and, you know, keep teams when they're surging like that to maybe not as dangerous as they could be. But that Dallas, did not happen last night, though. It did not. It did not. <laughs> they were at giving all. up chances in that particular segment. Yeah, and that's why I'm saying, you know, you hear Ryan McDonough talk about that, and then you see shifts like that, and, you know, you understand that you can try and, and, and talk about all those things that the players do in those situations. That clearly didn't happen. Dallas was, had them hemmed in uh, for a good stretch, but. You know, that's why you have 88 back there, too. And, you know, that's why his – I think I think his play in this entire playoffs is not being talked about enough because of the postseasons that some of the other guys have had. Um, he's putting up numbers that should be consummate worthy. I don't think he's going to win it um, just based on how the voters are going to see this. But, uh, you know, he's a big reason why they're here. He has been as steady and consistent – uh, as any goaltender in a playoff situation, especially when you consider he's played every single minute, uh, including the exhibition game way back in July, uh, he's the rock. He's the guy that keeps things under control. Um, and, you know, the, the headman stop on Gurionov, that was a 0-0 game at that point, too. And, you know, that's a, that's a huge moment in the game, too, as Greg mentioned. Eric Erlinson joining us here on Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. How does the personnel change, in your opinion, for both teams coming up with the back-to-backs this weekend? Yeah, this is a very unusual situation inside a very unusual situation to have a back-to-back. You know, I, again, I, I don't think the league is doing the, the players any favors here. I understand both teams are in the same boat. You know, there's no travel involved and everything like that, but... <laughs> Stanley Cup final, and it, it might be different, and there might not be fans there, but you can't tell me the players aren't playing with the same intensity, if not more, than we're used to seeing in these circumstances. And to put them on back-to-backs I think is unfair for the quality of the product, but that's just my opinion. Um, as far as trying to deal with it, um, I, don't, I think it affects Dallas probably more so than Tampa Bay. Uh, you know, Tampa Bay's put, you know, Jan Ruda in, so there's some fresh legs in the last couple of games uh, and, and what he's been able to do. Uh, the, the way that uh, the last couple of games have gone for Tampa Bay, especially last night, they were able to kind of curtail some of the minutes. I mean, Victor Hedman only played 21, and, you know, I think Nikita Kucherov played 17, so you can kind of pull back the reins a little bit and let some of the – and I guess some ice time, some other guys, and spread it out a little bit more, knowing what you have coming up this weekend. Uh, you know, and it's and it's not just the back-to-backs. It's going to be three and four nights. Um, and with Dallas, like, what do they do with their goaltender? We had the same conversation uh, during the Boston series when it was back-to-backs in game two and game three uh, with Yarrow Halak, and what would they do with their 30-plus goaltender? And now here you've got Dallas in the same situation where Hudobin has played a ton of minutes lately, and you know, they're able to give him a little bit of a rest and, and put Ottinger in, in in the third period last night. But what do the Dallas Stars do? You know, do you is, is Hudobin going to start back-to-back? Will we see Ben Bishop? I saw that kind of being tossed around a little bit last night. I know he's been continually uh, unfit to play in Rick Bonus's words. You know, but is this a situation? Because if you start Hudobin in Game 4 and, and you win that game, you have to come back to him in Game 5, but can you in these situations? Uh, it, it is a very unusual circumstance that coaches have not had to deal with at this level of the postseason, um, but I, I think it's advantage Tampa Bay just because they have a little bit of a younger roster, but more importantly, they've got the younger goaltender. 
we have talked both with you and amongst ourselves and with some of the other guests we've had on through this playoff year about the Sorelli line and maybe they needed to find another gear. Personally, I feel they found that gear in this series. I think Kalorn has been noticeably dynamic in, in how he's skating and how hungry he is on pucks. And I think you could say the same for Sorelli and Johnson. What have been your impressions of that line so far in the final? Yeah, that was one of the my takeaways from game one was how well that those three played together. Uh, didn't show up on the score sheet, but uh, they had some sustained uh, shifts inside of the offensive zone. Um, you know, and, and that's key. It, it, they have to establish that. You know, they've kind of been – uh, looked at as the you know you wanted some more offensive production out of that. Uh, Tyler Johnson has not had the playoffs. I think he would tell you he'd want to have. Uh, in Anthony Sorelli, he scored obviously three pretty key goals uh, throughout this playoffs, but for the most part, you know he hasn't had a lot of um, offensive opportunities. Um, and but Kalorn in particular, like we're used to playoff Alex Kalorn scoring goals and be playoff Alex Kalorn. Uh, he's been a beast on the penalty kill throughout this entire playoffs. And, you know, some nights he's a one-man penalty kill unit and you'll see him take the puck and he just kind of skates down in the zone and he takes on one-on-two, one-on-three, and he keeps the puck down there for, you know, 10, 15 seconds. Uh, you know, but I, that the way that they played in game one was very encouraging to me. Uh, I think we saw that continue into game two. Um, not maybe not quite as much last night in game three, but still active, still some some shifts inside the offensive zone and, and keeping the puck in and, and, and at least establishing some territory down there. Um, when you see that, you think that the, the payoff is going to come, and, and I think the payoff is going to come. I think that line still has an, an opportunity, and they will deliver with some sort of a key moment here uh, in this series. E, lastly, we're here with Eric Erlinson on Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. Uh, is there anything we've been very glowing about Tampa Bay's play, and, and rightfully so, but as we've talked about before, we've seen this story before back in 2015. Is there anything that concerns you outside of health when it comes to this team and trying to finish this thing out? Well, it's, it's like that first period shift last night. You know, when, when the team gets a little sloppy with the puck and, you know, they're prone to do it, the the, the game against the Islanders, game three, where, you know, they kind of lost their focus for about five or six minutes. The Islanders took advantage. I mean, Dallas could easily have taken advantage of that. And, and you know, this whole idea of a perfect 60, it doesn't happen. I, I totally understand that. But you can't have long stretches where you're sloppy with the puck, where you're turning the puck over and, We've talked about how that has been one of the major areas the team has really concentrated on being better going back to, you know, when, when the last postseason ended last year and what they wanted to do to make themselves uh, a more responsible team. They still have moments where they kind of get a little sloppy, and we saw that last night. Got away with it. Dallas is not able to capitalize on it, but they could, and, you know, Again, teams are going to surge. You, it just happens in a game. You're not going to keep the puck in the offensive zone for 50 minutes of a game. It, it's how you manage those minutes. And, uh, you know, they didn't manage them very well last night and got away with it. So it's, it's just that, you know, Dallas, I mean, they're, they're, they're going to come out even harder uh, on Friday and, and want to, you know, because they feel if they can tie the series up, they get the game the next night. It's a huge swing game 
on Saturday in Game 5 if it's a 2-2 series. So just just be more responsible with the puck. And, you know, they get the 2-0 lead last night, and that's when it kind of got away from them a little bit because this team can get comfortable, a little too comfortable at times with a lead, um, you know, in, in a, with an early lead. And that, that would be my concern if, you know, if Dallas is going to have surges like that, that you're not going to get away with keeping them off the board for long. Hey, good stuff. Uh, let people know where they can subscribe and listen to your podcast. Yeah, lightninginsider.com obviously is the website, uh, so you can sign up there. Or the podcast, which is out now from uh, last night's game, where we uh, kind of looked at the Stamco situation, talked a little bit more about uh, Victor Hedman's dominance throughout this postseason, and got a little trivia question for a free T-shirt if anybody wants Ooh. to check it out. So uh, you can find the podcast anywhere you find your podcast, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, anywhere. Um, just download it, subscribe it, five-star review, uh, anything anybody can do to uh, listen to that, and I appreciate it. Thanks, well, we Eric. Appreciate it. We appreciate you, E. Thanks, guys. I, I, I really enjoy the time with you guys, and uh, thanks for having me on once again. All right. I expect those royalties down the road. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about that at the negotiation. Just give table. them a T-shirt, I think. I'll give it a, yeah, that'd be great. I think a T-shirt uh, is better than anything, for sure. <laughs> e, thanks, buddy. Appreciate right. it. Thanks, Eric. When we come back, we'll get to some... Uh, Tweets that are coming in regarding the game last night, Steven Stamkos' goal, and do you do anything differently in uh, the next two games coming up with the back-to-backs? We'll discuss that with Dave and you when we return on Lightning Power Play. The perfect social distancing distraction for your lunch hour. This is Power Lunch, only on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app. What a game last night. So much fun to be part of, no doubt about it, in any capacity. Greg Linnelli, Dave Mishkin with you. Steve Ersnick producing. It is Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. The Steven Stamkos goal, where does it rank? One of the most, I think, memorable, iconic moments in sports history in Tampa Bay. And I think a, a great guest to have on to talk about, it, amongst other things, our good friend from lightninginsider.com. Subscribe today. He also has his own podcast. Make sure you listen to it. Not because I was on it before, but you should. It's good stuff. No, that's and, the only uh, reason. That, well, listen, I'm going to be selfish. That's the only reason you're going to listen <laughs> for that. Um, it is Eric Erlinson. E, I got the first most important question is, when did you go to bed? Ooh, I didn't do too bad last night. It was about 4.45, 4.50, somewhere in that range. All right. So not too bad. So you got to bed early. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah by, by today's uh, game day standards, it was a little early, actually. <laughs> um, you have, I, I would say, in terms of how media members can have decent relationships with athletes, I'd say your relationship with Stephen Stamkos is one of the better ones uh, in the area. And you've covered him, like Dave has, since he began his career. I, I said I thought it was one of the more memorable, iconic moments in Tampa Bay sports history, when you factor everything in the Stanley Cup Finals, the fact that Stamkos had missed all this time, and basically coming down and sniping it the way we've seen him do over the years in an important game, and then not playing after that, is something that I'm always going to remember. And I think if the Lightning win the Cup, you know, a lot of people are going to remember that one goal. Does does that resonate with you? Can you make that case? And if so, can I get some royalties on the next article or book that you write about that? <laughs> Greg's all about Greg. 
Oh boy. Um lots of lots of digest there, but you know. Yeah. Feel it. it. It was uh it, it look it's up there. There's no doubt. Um you know, I I think of uh, Ruslan Fedotenko's second goal in 04 in game 7 and just the the celebration and kind of the realization of what you hoped that meant at the end of that game. Um you know, Vinny's between the legs goal in Montreal in game 3 of that series in 2004. But there's no doubt that we're going to sit back in in a couple of years and you know, if if they can complete this job and look, we're we're not anywhere near that yet. We we should know better after what happened in 2015. Yes, you know where things can be. But if things do end the way that we all hope they do, that goal is going to go down as one of the most memorable moments for sure because of all the circumstances around it. You know, we hadn't. I mean, it's what 211 days between games for Steven Stamkos. What was it? 700 and some on days between playoff games because of, um, you know, the gap and the pause and everything. The fact that he couldn't participate in training camp other than some power play drills here and there, and, you know, he doesn't practice, and you don't hear from him, and then you kind of see him, and he shows up on the scene, and and then third shift in, you know, he just puts a perfect shot, and, you know, I don't want to downplay that, you know, Anton Hudobin was probably a little off his, his mark there, but he left that window open for Steven to find it, and he found it. And, you know, just to see what it meant for him, I mean, you could see him leap into the arms of Pat Maroon there behind the bench and just to see the reaction. I mean, it was just great to see literally, I think just about every single player stood as that puck went on his stick, as he raced down the right wing boards in anticipation of what could happen. And then to see the bench celebrate the way they did. uh, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I got chills when that happened and that doesn't happen very often in, in what I do, but it did. And and I think that sort of kind of gives you an idea of how this is going to resonate for a lot of people for a lot of years. So we know having watched him play all these years about Steven Stamkos's talent on the ice. And that play certainly is a, a snapshot of that, but you mentioned the player reaction, and the player reaction is as much, in my opinion, about Steven Stamkos, the person, and how he has persevered at different points in his career, dealing with injuries and setbacks, but especially during this playoff run. And I'm wondering how impressed you have been with what we have heard. He has not done a lot of press conferences, but he did one last night, and he talked about how tough this has been. And John Cooper at one point said it's killing him that he's not being able to play and and contribute. But we have heard from other players about the influence that he has had and his never-ending positivity. Even if he is frustrated internally, he is not letting it outwardly affect how he's interacting with his teammates. And players have talked about the influence that he has had on them through this playoff run. So we see the the goal, and that's the moment. But how impressed have you been, knowing Stammer as well as you do, about kind of the lasting impact or the longer impact that's not just a snapshot, but an example of a guy who is putting his own disappointment on the back burner for what is best for the team and trying to help the team however he can. 
Yeah, you're you're adding to the royalty fees uh, with that part of the story that's going to be <laughs> <laughs> written because uh, you're right. I, I think the the eruption on the bench is exactly that. It, it it's it's for knowing who he is, and you know it's the culmination of all the work that he put in to to try and fight his way back to get to that moment. And you know he even used the word painful, having to sit out because yeah. you know he could see what the team is going through. And you know I I think back to the the, the game two against the Islanders where. Nikita Kucherov scores with nine minutes and just kind of how that must have felt for him not to be able to be a part of that and, and kind of see what you hope is something special brewing, right? Like you look for kind of things like that go on. And, you know, so, I, yeah, I, I know that it was it was killing him not to be out there because he this is what this is what hockey players play for. It's a chance to play in the Stanley Cup final and, you know, the chance to win a Stanley Cup. And they got a taste of it in 2015 and it ended in disappointment with a six game loss to Chicago there. And, and then to, for him to have to sit out and not be able to be part of it for, you know, something that he can't necessarily control. You know, injuries happen. Uh, unfortunately, he's had some to deal with in the past. And, you know, we, I mean, you think back to when he broke his leg and, you know, when he was around the team, that's all they talked about was how, how is this guy so positive? How can he keep a smile on his face? You know, and that's just who Steven Stamkos is. He, he's a positive person. He always has been. Every interaction I've ever had with him and conversations that I've had with him throughout the years uh, and he just, you know, he said it that it doesn't help anybody to be negative, including himself. So he just goes with a positive attitude. But you know, you know, for the past two months that they've been inside this this bubble situation, and him not being able to play, it hurt. It hurt him, and that's why I think it meant so much for everybody to see that happen to him. And that's you know, that's everybody. That's everybody that's associated with this team. A, a fan, anybody, knows the story of Steven Stamkos and. Uh, it was. It was a very. It was a very touching moment to see everybody react that way. And if this is it, if he can't play the rest of the series, and they go on to win the Stanley Cup, he he can he can be proud that he contributed. It wasn't easy, but he was able to get out on the ice and make a contribution to uh, a, a victory and a potential. You know, getting your name on the cup. He will say that he had a part of it. Other than just you know being a glorified cheerleader in some ways, you know, any leadership skills and everything that all the guys have talked about, but um, th yeah, there's no doubt that uh, it, it, it's it's like a culmination of all these emotions coming out in that one snapshot moment. Eric Erlinson joining us here on Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. A lot to unravel when we talked about the game last night, but it's pretty apparent that if the first line of Tampa Bay's continues to play this way, Dallas does not have an answer for them. They just don't. And as I said in the opening segment, E, they are getting chances, meaning the Dallas players who are called upon to score, Sagan, Ben, Radulov, they're not, though. They're not converting for whatever reason. Tampa Bay's are. Do you look at that as being one of the bigger differences so far through three games? For sure. You know, with, like when Dallas won game 4-1, you know, what was a lot of the storylines? Well, hey, if Dallas is going to get this kind of depth scoring out of their guys, you know, hey, they're going to have a chance in the series. Well, you knew you weren't going to keep Tampa Bay's top line quiet. I mean, nobody slowed them down yet, and we're 19 games into the postseason, and very rarely have they not shown up on the score sheet. And, you know, and when you're going to have a game where Steven Stamko scores and 
Nikita Kucherov scores and Braden Point scores and Victor Hedman scores and Andre Pilat scores. Rand, that's five. My limited math tells me that's five goals. You're going to have a hard time beating any team with five goals. But it's the fact that that's those five guys that scored. You know, we, we can talk about how you need depth scoring in the playoffs and, you know, you need those guys to contribute and, you know. And that's and all true. It is. And John Cooper's used the phrase that top lines usually cancel out. If if you're going to get this contribution from your top line night in and night out and as dominant as they've been, I mean, they were dominant last night, especially in that second period. I mean, they were all over it. You know, that one shift that led to Palat's goal at the end of the second period was as dominant a shift as they've had in the postseason. You know, you need your top players to be your top players. And when you have the decided advantage in that category, and the Lightning certainly do in this case, um, they're going to be tough to slow down for Dallas as good as they are defensively. You know, Tampa Bay's found some cracks here in the last two games. And uh, I'm not saying that's going to continue, but if it does, you know, this is going to end in, in the right way for Tampa Bay. Lightning scored some goals last night off the rush. Kucherov. Stamp goes, the point goal off the rush. And that's been one reason for their success against this this Dallas structured defense. They have been able to, to catch them and make some plays. The, the three-on-one goal for point was after a line change by the Stars. But it's been noticeable in the last two games when the teams are skating five-on-five, five, how the Lightning are able to get in on the four-check and reach the Dallas defenders before they can make a play with the puck. And I'm looking at the game sheet last night, Eric. I'm not a big fan of the hit stat. I know some people love it. I'm not a fan of it. I I usually don't even pay attention to it because I think it's an extremely subjective stat to quantify. It doesn't always tell you what you may need to know. Like if you're chasing the whole game, you may have a lot of hits because you don't have the puck. But the one that jumped out at me, Tyler Johnson had nine hits last night. And I think the reason he was credited with nine hits was virtually all of those were probably in the offensive zone where he was getting under the forecheck and closing on a Dallas defender before that defender could play the puck. I see Sorelli had five hits as well on the same line. How important has that been to the Lightning's if you want to call it success or ability to have a lot of puck possession basically from the start of the the third period in game one right on through here five on five well you don't want to give the dallas d chance to get out because they're very good at it and if you can get in and look we can all say that Game one, they were tired. They were. It, it was an, it was a fatigue thing. The, the The minds were dead. The legs were dead, and that's a, that's not a good combination, uh, you know, in, in a Stanley Cup final game. And and they paid for it. And Dallas did what they had to do to take advantage of it. But the Lightning have found their legs, and with their legs, they've been able to get in deep on the forecheck. And you know, I saw an interesting little video from uh, Craig Button yesterday where he noticed that Tampa Bay was trying to dump the puck in and make Anton Hudobin handle it. And that way you spread the Dallas defense out. Rather than Dallas going behind the net and maybe using some speed to pick up the puck, it spreads the Dallas D out to the corners, and that's where the Lightning are getting their forecheck. They're not allowing a clean out. And, you know, Hudobin might get the puck over to his his D, 
but they're not getting it quick enough that Tampa Bay can't establish their forecheck, and that's disrupting uh, a lot of what the Stars want to do and to be able to keep the puck in the zone. And as we know, so much of your success a lot of times in the playoff series comes down to your compete level and your battle level. How are you winning those pucks along the boards? How are you getting in those 50-50 battles? And if they can get in quickly on the forecheck, which they have done, that is a big contributor to disrupting Dallas's uh, speed up through the ice because they get a ton of it. You know, they're they're a pretty physical team themselves, but they're not, you know, they have more speed than the Islanders. They have more speed than Columbus. So I know we've tried to make the comparison that Dallas plays the same way as some of the teams that Tampa Bay has already faced here in the playoffs. But what they have that those other teams didn't was a pretty good core of D who can get up and move the puck with Heiskanen and Klingberg and Lindell. And, you know, those guys can really get the puck up the ice or skate the puck out of danger. If you take away their time and space in the offensive zone, that's that's a key part of, of maintaining puck possession, and it's it's a reason why you know you go back to game one in the third period and how they're able to keep the puck in the Dallas zone, and you know in the second period last night, especially in particular, just pinning them in. And you know I'm not a big fan of the hits. I, I'm looking at this, and I think these are overinflated hits. Like you're going to tell me every single game of this series has had over 100. I mean Tampa Bay had like 20 registered hits in like the first 10 minutes. I'm like. That just seems excessive, but it's the same statistician keeping it. So it is subjective, but it's this one person's, um, you know, is, is judging all of these. Apples uh, but, to apples, then. Yeah, exactly. But at the end of the day, it's it's a great observation by you, and I'm not shocked by that, that that's a big part of, of why Tampa Bay's been able to get their fourth check is because they're getting in and taking the body. I think you follow him on Twitter, Dmitry Filipich. Filipovich, yes, Um, and I don't know where he works now. I think he has his own podcast. He's a very analytical guy. Uh, I'm not as big on analytics-y. I know you can kind of dabble in it. Dave looks at it sometimes, but a couple of things stood out if you really believe how dominant that first line has been. He said the last two games for the points, Kucherov, and Palat line is about as dominant as it gets. He says the numbers with them on the ice at 5-on-5 via NST. 22 minutes, 11 seconds, total ice time. 30 to 6 total shot attempts. 32 6. 19 to 1 shots on goal. 10 to 1 higher danger attempts. 3 0 goals scored. Sometimes those numbers, you have to put them in context, but that's pretty impressive. And then he, he goes on to give some stats about how good Victor Hedman has been <laughs> in these playoffs as well. And. What he was able to do on Gurionov's breakaway might have been the play of the game when you factor in where things were at the time, and it was still a 0-0 game. Yeah, we'll start with uh, the point line. Um, you know, you match the eye test to the numbers test sometimes, and uh, the numbers test actually outweighs what we've seen in person, and what we've seen in person is very, very good. And... You know, it, to me, it is a measurement of puck possession, and if you're going to do that, uh, you know, if you're going to have that lopsided of an advantage, uh, look, and, that, and like last night, Tampa Bay was the quote-unquote visiting team, so Rick Bonus got his matchups, you know, as much as he could in those situations to try and slow those guys down, and it still didn't work. So uh, that's as dominant as you can probably be in a Stanley Cup final with, with those type of, of numbers and your shot attempts and you know, your, your, your shots on goal. Um, and then Victor Hedman, I, I don't know what else more we can say about, about Victor. I, I, you know, we're watching him play 
in these postseason. And, and you know, I, I have to ask myself, how has he only won one Norris Trophy? Right? Like, he's only won one. He's been a finalist four straight years, and he's only won one. And the other three times, he actually finished third. So he wasn't even a runner-up in those circumstances. And just the way he handles and controls the game. And, I mean, this is definitely going to be an eye-opener for a lot of people outside of the Tampa market who maybe don't see uh, Victor Hedman play so much. But he has just been... Like the the conversation is going to be had, and it has been had about you know Con Smythe candidates for Tampa Bay if if they happen to go on and win this, and you can make an argument for Andre Vasilevsky, you can make an argument from Braden Point, and you can make an argument from Nikita Kucherov, and you probably wouldn't be wrong, but I think when it's going to come down to it, he's going to be the guy because you know you look at the ten goals that are scored, and I I think the other what's the other number that he's actually had more five on five goals that he has scored himself than he's actually given up while he's on the ice in the playoffs. And uh, that's a pretty telling stat. You know, between the Stamco storyline and the Lightning's dominant second period, it's maybe easy to forget that segment in the first when the stars had their best stretch. And it was about a seven and a half minute stretch. It started with their power play when Chernak was called for a penalty into the four on four into the shorthanded situation, they scored the goal, and then continuing five on five. In that seven-and-a-half-minute stretch, the Stars had 14 shots, and they finished the game with 24. So the other (laughs) 52-and-a-half minutes, they only had 10 shots on net. But they were dangerous during that seven-and-a-half-minute stretch, and that was when Vasilevsky was called upon. I guess to me, this is a reminder that the Stars can be extremely dangerous when they get their game going, when they have the wind at their back as far as momentum is concerned. How important was that stretch, though, in your mind, both with Vasilevsky not letting them tie the game and then the Lightning finding a way to end that surge? So a seven and a half minute surge didn't turn into 10 minutes or 15 minutes or 20 minutes like it did for the Lightning in the second period. Well, all teams are going to have those surge moments, right? Like they're going to happen in a game, and how do you manage that? And I felt that, you know, during that stretch, starting with right before the the Dickinson shorthanded goal, just got sloppy with the puck. Uh, Their decision-making with the puck uh, slacked, for lack of a better phrase. Uh, That led almost directly to that Dickinson goal because of how sloppy they were with the puck in that situation. Um, and when you're going to feed a team like that, and you know, let's Dallas is here for a reason. They are a very good team. They are a dangerous team. You know, there was what was the one play where Andre Vasilevsky actually got a stick on a pass across to Tyler Sagan. That if that puck gets clean through, it's a goal. Uh, and you know, so you know, Vasilevsky not just making the saves, he's disrupting passes as well. You know, you have to withstand those, and, and, and you do it. And, you know, I go back to something Ryan McDonough said early in these playoffs that, you know, when they get in those situations, they don't panic anymore where maybe they did before. And, you know, it's where their structure. They talked about how they lean on their structure in, in those moments to try and, you know, keep teams when they're surging like that to maybe not as dangerous as they could be. But That Dallas, did not happen last night, though. It did not. <laughs> it did not They were giving all. up chances in that particular segment. Yeah, and that's why I'm saying, you know, you hear Ryan McDonough talk about that, and then you see shifts like that, and, you know, you understand that you can try and, and, and talk about all those things that the players do in those situations. That clearly didn't happen. Dallas was had them hemmed in uh, for a good stretch, but, 
you know, that's why you have 88 back there too. And, you know, that's why his, I think, I think his play in this entire playoffs is not being talked about enough because of the postseasons that some of the other guys have had. Um, he's putting up numbers that should be Conn Smythe worthy. I don't think he's going to win it um, just based on how the voters are going to see this. But, uh, you know, he's a big reason why they're here. He has been as steady and consistent uh, as any goaltender in a playoff situation, especially when you consider he's played every single minute, uh, including the exhibition game way back in July. Uh, he's the rock. He's the guy that keeps things under control. Um, and, you know, the, the headman stop on Gurionov, that was a 0-0 game at that point, too. And, you know, that's a, that's a huge moment in the game, too, as Greg mentioned. Eric Erlinson joining us here on Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. How does the personnel change, in your opinion, for both teams coming up with the back-to-backs this weekend? Yeah, this is a very unusual situation inside a very unusual situation to have a back-to-back. You know, I, again, I, I don't think the league is doing the, the players any favors here. I understand both teams are in the same boat. You know, there's no travel involved and everything like that, but <laughs> Stanley Cup final, and it, it might be different, and there might not be fans there, but you can't tell me the players aren't playing with the same intensity, if not more, than we're used to seeing in these circumstances. And to put them on back-to-backs, I think, is unfair for the quality of the product, but that's just my opinion. Um, as far as trying to deal with it, um, I, don't, I think it affects Dallas probably more so than Tampa Bay. Uh, you know, Tampa Bay's put, you know, Jan Ruda in, so there's some fresh legs in the last couple of games uh, in, in what he's been able to do. Uh, the, the way that uh, the last couple of games have gone for Tampa Bay, especially last night, they were able to kind of curtail some of the minutes. I mean, Victor Hedman only played 21, and, you know, I think Nikita Kucherov played 17, so you can kind of pull back the reins a little bit and let some of the – and I guess some ice time, some other guys, and spread it out a little bit more, knowing what you have coming up this weekend. Uh, you know, and it's and it's not just the back-to-backs. It's going to be three and four nights. Um, and with Dallas, like, what do they do with their goaltender? We had the same conversation uh, during the Boston series when it was back-to-backs in game two and game three uh, with Yarrow Halak, and what would they do with their 30-plus goaltender? And now here you've got Dallas in the same situation where Hudobin has played a ton of minutes lately, and you know, they're able to give him a little bit of a rest and, and put Ottinger in, in in the third period last night. But what do the Dallas Stars do? You know, do you is, is Hudobin going to start back-to-back? Will we see Ben Bishop? I saw that kind of being tossed around a little bit last night. I know he's been continually uh, unfit to play in Rick Bonus's words. You know, but is this a situation? Because if you start Hudobin in Game 4 and, and you win that game, you have to come back to him in Game 5, but can you in these situations? Uh, it, it is a very unusual circumstance that coaches have not had to deal with at this level of the postseason, um, but I, I think it's advantage Tampa Bay just because they have a little bit of a younger roster, but more importantly, they've got the younger goaltender. We have talked both with you and amongst ourselves and with some of the other guests we've had on through this playoff year about the Sorelli line, and maybe they needed to find another gear. Personally, I feel they found that gear in this series. I think Kalorn has been noticeably dynamic in, in how he's skating and how hungry he is on pucks. And I think you could say the same for Sorelli and Johnson. What have been your impressions of that line so far in the final? 
Yeah, that was one of the my takeaways from game one was how well that those three played together. Uh, didn't show up on the score sheet, but uh, they had some sustained uh, shifts inside of the offensive zone. Um, you know, and, and that's key. It, it, they have to establish that. You know, they've kind of been uh, looked at as the, you know, you wanted some more offensive production out of that. Uh, Tyler Johnson has not had the playoffs. I think he would tell you he'd want to have. Uh, and Anthony Sorelli, he scored obviously three pretty key goals uh, throughout this playoffs. But for the most part, you know, he hasn't had a lot of um, offensive opportunities. Um and, but Kalorn in particular, like we're used to playoff Alex Kalorn scoring goals and be playoff Alex Kalorn. Uh, he's been a beast on the penalty kill throughout this entire playoffs. And, you know, some nights he's a one-man penalty kill unit and you'll see him take the puck and he just kind of skates down in the zone and he takes on one-on-two, one-on-three, and he keeps the puck down there for, you know, 10, 15 seconds. Uh, you know, but I, that – the way that they played in game one was very encouraging to me. Uh, I think we saw that continue into game two. Um, not Maybe not quite as much last night in game three, but still active, still some some shifts inside the offensive zone and, and keeping the puck in and, and, and at least establishing some territory down there. Um, when you see that, you think that the the payoff is going to come, and and I think the payoff is going to come. I think that line still has an, an opportunity, and they will deliver with some sort of a key moment here uh, in this series. E. Lastly, we're here with Eric Erlinson on Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. Uh, is there anything we've been very glowing about Tampa Bay's play, and, and rightfully so? But as we've talked about before, we've seen this story before back in 2015. Is there anything that concerns you outside of health when it comes to this team and trying to finish this thing out? Well, it's it's like that first period shift last night. You know, when, when the team gets a little sloppy with the puck and, you know, they're prone to do it, the, the, the game against the Islanders, game three, where, you know, they kind of lost their focus for about five or six minutes. The Islanders took advantage. I mean, Dallas could easily have taken advantage of that. And, you know, this whole idea of a perfect 60, it doesn't happen. I, I totally understand that. But you can't have long stretches where you're sloppy with the puck, where you're turning the puck over. And we've talked about how that has been one of the major areas the team has really concentrated on being better going back to, you know, when, when the last postseason ended last year and what they wanted to do to make themselves uh, a more responsible team. They still have moments where they kind of get a little sloppy, and we saw that last night. Got away with it. Dallas is not able to capitalize on it, but they could. And, you know, again, teams are going to surge. You, it just happens in a game. You're not going to keep the puck in the offensive zone for 50 minutes of a game. It, it's how you manage those minutes. And, uh, you know, they didn't manage them very well last night and got away with it. So it's, it's just that, you know, Dallas, I mean, they're, they're, they're going to come out even harder uh, on Friday and, and want to, you know, because they feel if they can tie the series up, they get the game the next night. It's a huge swing game on Saturday in game five if it's a 2-2 series. So just just be more responsible with the puck. And, you know, they get the 2 nothing lead last night, and that's when it kind of got away from them a little bit because this team can get comfortable, a little too comfortable at times with a lead, um, you know, in, in a, with an early lead. And that, that would be my concern if, you know, if Dallas is going to have surges like that, that you're not going to get away with keeping them off the board for long. Hey, good stuff. Uh, let people know where they can subscribe and listen 
to your podcast. Yeah, lightninginsider.com obviously is the website, uh, so you can sign up there. Or the podcast, which is out now from uh, last night's game, where we uh, kind of looked at the Stamco situation, talked a little bit more about uh, Victor Hedman's dominance throughout this postseason, and got a little trivia question for a free T-shirt if anybody wants Ooh. to check it out. So uh, you can find the podcast anywhere you find your podcast, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, anywhere. Um, just download it, subscribe it, five-star review, uh, anything anybody can do to uh, listen to that, and I appreciate it. Thanks, well, we Eric. Appreciate, we appreciate you, E. Thanks, guys. I, I, I really enjoy the time with you guys, and uh, thanks for having me on once again. All right. I expect those royalties down the road. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about that at the negotiation. Just give table. them a T-shirt, I think. I'll give it a, yeah, that'd be great. I think a T-shirt uh, is better than anything, for sure. <laughs> e, thanks, buddy. Appreciate right. it. Thanks, Eric. When we come back, we'll get to some... Uh, Tweets that are coming in regarding the game last night, Steven Stamkos' goal, and do you do anything differently in uh, the next two games coming up with the back-to-backs? We'll discuss that with Dave and you when we return on Lightning Power Play.